you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Officials in California announced yesterday that a statue of Christopher Columbus will be removed from the state capitol rotunda. Said the statue, California? I thought this was Indonesia. Recorded from locations that are not 30 Rockefeller Plaza, please enjoy this podcast edition of Late Night with Seth Meyers. On today's show, Seth chats with Senator Bernie Sanders. But first, a closer look. The Trump administration has decided to just move on from the coronavirus pandemic and pretend it's over, even though in reality it's still here and getting worse. For more on this, it's time for a closer look. The nation has obviously been focused on the weeks of sustained mass demonstrations against systemic racism and police brutality, but at the same time, the pandemic is still here. It hasn't gone anywhere. The coronavirus is like my copy of the Thornbirds. It hasn't been on my side table for a few weeks, but that doesn't mean it was gone forever. It was just off camera, and now it's back. But I can promise you what's not back is labored bits where I add books or change the titles. And look, there was never a good time to have the world's dumbest man as president, but the timing could not be worse right now. As the country faces some of its weightiest and most difficult challenges in our lifetimes. There are mass demonstrations against systemic racism and police brutality, unemployment, is at its highest since the Great Depression. North Korea just blew something up. Tensions are escalating between India and China. The coronavirus pandemic is still raging. And the New York Times reports that toilets can spray plumes of coronavirus into the air and infect the next person who uses them. Now, we can't even enjoy toilet plumes. The only thing I had left to look forward to this summer was loading the kids into the van and taking them on a cross-country trip to see America's most picturesque toilet plumes. 2020 sucks. And may I say, this is the first dent in the otherwise sterling reputation of porta-potties. Also, that's got to be the most embarrassing way to catch coronavirus. Were you near any large crowds? No, but I, I maybe huffed a plume. So things are bad. In a situation like this, the very minimum we should expect from our leaders is an ability to provide us with a shared sense of reality to give us all the facts. But the president, he doesn't want to do that. In fact, he's repeatedly expressed an interest this week in hiding the truth about the coronavirus pandemic, suggesting that if we just stopped testing, it would go away. Today, President Trump attributed an increase in cases in some states to advanced testing. In a tweet, he said, quote, without testing or weak testing, we would be showing almost no cases. Testing is a double-edged sword, making us look bad, but good to have. Our testing is so far advanced, it's so much bigger and better than any other country that we're going to have more cases. We're always going to have more cases. And 
as I said this morning, that's probably the downside of having good testing, is you find a lot of cases that other countries who don't even test don't have. If you don't test, you don't have any cases. If we stop testing right now, we'd have very few cases, if any. I can't believe I have to explain this. If we stopped testing, that wouldn't mean the cases went away. That would just mean we don't know about them. When you play peekaboo with a baby, the baby can't see you, but that doesn't mean you actually disappeared. Do you remember when people were making those viral videos when they stand behind a cover in front of their dog, then drop the blanket and run away, and the dog thinks they disappeared? That's Trump. What the hell? He was just standing behind the blanket. Damn you to hell! Ghost blanket, you called for me, sir. Not you, ghost blanket, the other ghost blanket. Now, this is a sentiment Trump has repeated several times. If only we could stop testing, we'd look so much better, which is just insane. It's like if you went to your optometrist and they said, I could give you an eye exam, but then you'd need glasses to drive. That doesn't mean you don't need glasses. Just means you'll probably get in more car accidents than Billy Joel. And that's another Billy Joel car crash joke. And yes, that is a reference that is 16 years old, which means if that reference were a person, they would have no idea who Billy Joel is. And if you're a person who is surprised that I'm still making Billy Joel car crash jokes in 2020, all I can say is, you ought to know by now, we are having fun in our attic. Now Trump is in his own unique way, breathtakingly dumb, but the rest of his administration is just as committed to this coronavirus cover-up as he is. Even if they managed to be a little more subtle about it, Vice President Mike Pence, for example, urged governors on a call this week to lie about the increasing number of coronavirus cases. According to the New York Times at a conference call, the VP urged governors to, quote, continue to explain to your citizens the magnitude of increase in testing and that in most of the cases where we are seeing some marginal rise in number, that's more a result of the extraordinary work you're doing. The idea that cases are going up because testing has increased is a lie. And sure, Mike Pence might look more convincing than Trump when he lies. He shakes his head and furrows his brow like a community theater actor looking even more the part of a statesman thanks to sharing a two-shot with a man who looks like he's trying to get you to play the ring toss down on the Coney Island boardwalk. But it's still a lie. The increase in testing is not the reason for the increase in positives. In fact, in at least 14 states, positive cases have outstripped the average number of tests that have been administered. Just look at this map from the website covidexitstrategy.org with states that are trending poorly in red. Just because Trump has gotten bored with something doesn't mean it's gone away. You'd think he would have at least learned that lesson from these two. What are you two losers doing here? I thought you disappeared. No, Dad, we went to summer camp. I thought it was permanent summer camp. The Trump administration has even been contradicted by their own scientists. On Tuesday, Dr. Anthony Fauci said the increase in cases cannot be explained by increased testing, which is just obviously true. What do you think is more likely to be responsible for an increase of cases of infectious disease? Increased testing or reopening gyms, malls, barbershops, bowling alleys, massage parlors, and everyone's favorite local tavern, Ocophagans. And yet, the Trump administration is committed to the lie that the coronavirus has just disappeared when in reality it never went away and it is, in fact, getting worse. Yesterday, Pence published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal titled, There Isn't a Coronavirus Second Wave. Yeah, that's because we're not done with the first wave. That's like serving someone an undercooked hamburger and while they're still eating it saying, see, there's no diarrhea. There will be. There just isn't any yet. In fact, we've failed miserably compared to most other developed nations. Look at this chart comparing our curve of confirmed cases to the European Union. 
Or look at these curves from the New York Times for three European countries that saw major outbreaks and have since suppressed those outbreaks and bent their curves all the way back down. Now add in the United States. The U.S. is a plateau and Italy, Spain, and Germany all have downward slopes, proving something I've long said, the skiing is better in Europe. It just is. We should learn from them. Instead, our leaders continue to politicize even basic measures that we know could stem the spread of the virus, like mask wearing. Trump and Pence have turned mask wearing into a dumb conservative culture war issue by repeatedly refusing to wear one in public. And Pence did it again during a trip to a restaurant in Iowa on Tuesday. Dude, just be polite and wear the mask. Why do you have to be such a dick about everything? You think you're gonna look stupid with a mask? The world can still go on, even if we can't see your dumb little hyphen mouth. If you put a blank piece of paper over your face, no one would know the difference. You already have resting mask face. In fact, Trump seems intent on making the situation worse by holding a giant indoor rally on Saturday in Tulsa, a hot spot where cases are spiking and where the director of the Tulsa Health Department has said he wishes Trump would postpone the rally. Trump nonetheless doubled down on Twitter. The president reacted to that notion on Twitter, and he rejects it, saying, The far-left fake news media, which had no COVID problems with the rioters and looters destroying Democrat-run cities, is trying to COVID-shame us on our big rallies. Won't work. You don't have to tell us you're immune to shame. We're familiar with your work. It is clear to all of us that you have tested positive for shame antibodies. Also, don't compare a giant indoor rally to a protest. There's a huge difference between an outdoor gathering where everyone's wearing a mask and an indoor campaign rally slash mosh pit in an arena with limited ventilation where everyone's cheek to cheek chanting, build that wall. Also, no one is less of an essential worker than a Trump rally attendee. You've been chanting, build that wall for five years, nada. So Trump is both malevolent and dumb. Hollywood has done us a real disservice trying to convince us that Evil people are all geniuses. They're always suave and well-spoken. A lot of them have PhDs, Dr. No, Dr. Doom, Dr. Octopus. All Trump has is a master's degree in copying off the kid in front of him. Not only does he not know how coronavirus testing works, he doesn't even know how his own industry, real estate, works. Here he is at a roundtable event last week describing how, I guess, some buildings are nicer and also cheaper than others. Sometimes you'll see a building, it costs less money than another building that costs more because the one that built the one that costs more, this one looks better. The one that's cheaper, it looks better. They say, how much more did you spend for that building? Actually, we spent less. You can do that. It's called, you have to know what you're doing. He sounds like a New York City tour guide who forgot his note cards. Uh, interesting fact, sometimes uh, you'll see a building that uh, you know, costs less money than another building because, you know, the one that built the one that cost more, this was cheaper, and uh, an M store. He's like a dumber version of the kid from Jerry Maguire. Did you know that sometimes buildings that cost less look nicer? Of course, the core of what he was saying was, if you make a cheap thing look nice, people will pay more, and by the time they realize it's cheap, you have their money, and it's too late to do anything. Trump style. The only, the only smart move Trump ever made as a builder was giving Trump Tower an escalator instead of a ramp. The course of history would have been very different if that had been a ramp. We are waiting on Donald Trump, who is expected to announce his bid for the presidency. And here he is now at the top of the famous Trump Tower ramp, heading down fairly gingerly. And oh, it looks like he's picking up some speed. And based on his expression, that was not part of the plan. Oh, you can really see the whiteness of his knuckles as they grasp helplessly at the railing. Oh, he's down. He's down and he has taken Melania with him. And I do not speak Slovenian, but those half those just have to be curse words. If you are just now joining us, Donald Trump, expected to announce a presidential run, has eaten it hard 
on the ramp. Trump's brain is only capable of thinking in transactions. His only interest in any situation is what's in it for him. That's why he wishes he could just stop testing for coronavirus. We've seen it time and time again. For example, Trump's ex-national security advisor, John Bolton, who courageously hid behind his mustache rather than testify in Trump's impeachment trial, has alleged in a new tell-all book that not only did Trump seek to leverage aid to Ukraine to help his re-election bid, but that Trump did similar stuff all the time. Another former aide is taking aim at President Trump. John Bolton, who served as national security advisor, says in a new book the president was concerned only with getting re-elected and that misconduct in his foreign policy went beyond Ukraine. The book, which is titled The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir, was slated to come out next week. The publisher says the book is, quote, a precise rendering of his days in and around the Oval Office. What Bolton saw astonished him, a president for whom getting reelected was the only thing that mattered, even if it meant endangering or weakening the nation. What's the opposite of being so shocked you spit out water? Donald Trump is only driven by self-interest? And thanks for telling us now. I mean, that's information that would have been way more helpful to us six months ago during the impeachment trial. You're like a guy who sees his neighbor's house on fire and instead of calling 911, writes a book called, Hey, that house is on fire. Bob, I wrote a book about uh, your house being on fire. I would love to send it to you, but you know, the house burned down. So where are you guys now, a hotel? There's no one, no one to root for in a Trump versus Bolton fight. They're both megalomaniacs, sociopaths looking out for themselves. It's a real alien versus predator situation, except all you need to do to stop alien Trump is install a ramp. He's getting closer. He's getting closer. Oh, he's slowing down. Oh, he's slowing down. Okay, he's slowing way down. All right, you know what? I think we're good. I think we're good to move around our spaceship as we did before this alien infestation. The president and his team are lying about the ongoing coronavirus pandemic in an attempt to cover it up and pretend it's over when in reality it's getting worse. The pandemic has laid bare the weaknesses of our institutions and proven once again that in order to be president, at the very least, you have to know what you're doing. This has been A Closer Look. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Our guest tonight is a United States senator from Vermont and former presidential candidate. Please welcome back to the show, Senator Bernie Sanders. Welcome back to the show, Senator. How are you? I'm great. Good to be with you. You were our first uh, quarantine guest on March 30th, and I really hope the next time we talked it would be in, per uh, in person. But uh, I do appreciate you making time for us again. How are you? I know you're a man who likes to be around uh, your constituents. You like to be around people. How are you getting through this telephone Zoom era? I would be being dishonest with you if I didn't tell you that it's difficult. You know, I thrive and I get my oxygen from being around people. Uh, I miss being in the kind of physical contact I would like to be with my grandchildren. Uh, so it's hard, but, uh, you know, we're doing the best that we can do. 
you have been uh, through uh, many uh, protest movements uh, in your long uh, career uh, as an activist. Uh, well, what is your take on the protest moment that we're going through right now? Is it as earth-changing as many are saying it is? It is a very big deal. It is really uh, unprecedented and it's extraordinary and especially taking place in the midst of the pandemic. And what you are seeing in large cities all over the country and in small towns is people saying enough is enough to police brutality and police murder, that we have to rethink the whole nature of policing in America, that we have to deal with institutional racism. Uh, and that is just an extraordinary moment in our country's history. You have clarified that you are not for abolishing the police, which a lot of people assume defunding the police means. Uh, where are you on that sliding scale between the idea of no police well, and I, I don't more think, Seth, I don't think that at the end of the day, most people think we should not have any police departments in America. But I think what most people think is we have to reallocate resources and rethink the function of policing. Obviously, for a start, we have to do away with police murders and police brutality. That goes without saying. But the other thing that I think we have to do is to ask ourselves, should police uh, be forced to deal every day with issues like mental illness, uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, homelessness? Police spend a whole lot of their time and energy doing things that they are not necessarily trained to do and that take a lot of resources. So I think what people want when we talk about defunding the police or, or reallocating resources is also to put money into the causes of crime. Why do we have more people in jail than any other country? Should we be legalizing marijuana, which in my view, we should. Should we be investing in jobs and education uh, rather than just locking up more and more people? So I think this moment makes us rethink the function of policing and the reallocation of resources, something I very strongly believe in. President Trump today signed uh, some executive orders on police reform, and even you know, Democratic leadership over the years has called for reforms like body cameras, like anti-bias trainings. Uh, does the president's steps today uh, make you optimistic, or do you feel like they are, are short of what we need and oh, so far as what we Seth, need. Seth, way, way short of what we need. And we are working uh, in the Senate, and I have introduced a set of proposals which go a lot, a lot further. I mean, the bottom line here is that police officers need to be held accountable for their actions. And that's something that has not taken place in the past. Uh, we need to make sure that police departments around the country receive the training to understand that lethal force shooting somebody is a last response, not a first response. So there are a whole number of things that have got to be done. I think Trump is responding from the pressure of the American people, not just Democrats or independents, Republicans as well. But we have to go a lot further than Trump is talking about. Uh, another thing where I imagine you feel uh, the government needs to go further on is how we're taking care of people during this pandemic. Obviously, uh, Congress has passed some bills. It's been a while since they passed another one. Uh, what steps need to be taken moving forward? Because obviously things like unemployment insurance aren't going to go on forever. 
and uh, we could see a real spike in, in, in what people need, not just in the virus, but insofar as what people need from the government. Well, Seth, I would hope that out of this terrible moment in American history, which is really uh, unprecedented, I mean, you're looking at 110,000 people dead already from the virus, you're looking at 30 million people having lost their jobs, uh, you're looking at people who have lost by the millions their health care. Uh, people unable to pay their rents, worried about losing their homes, kids not being in school. It's an unprecedented moment in American history. And I would hope that we take this opportunity to say and ask ourselves, how did we get to where we are right now and where do we want to be in the next couple of months and in the future? Now, in the next couple of months, what we have got to do, not in the next couple of months, the next couple of weeks immediately, what we have got to do is pass what we call a Corona 4 piece of major legislation, which says that when 30 million people have lost their jobs and millions have lost their health care, we have got to stand up and protect them. Various ways to do that, but at the very least, working people need to continue to get decent unemployment checks when unemployment is so high. In my view, during the midst of this crisis, while we work toward Medicare for all, clearly right now, Everybody must be entitled to health care as a human right. I think that a $1,200 one-time check is not enough. During the crisis, we should make sure that every individual in this country gets at least $2,000, because so many of our people are hurting $2,000 a month. That's some of what we got to do. Long-term, we have got to ask ourselves, how does it happen that when so many people lose their jobs, they also lose their health care? Should healthcare in America just be a job benefit or should it be a human right? Obviously, I think it should be a human right. I hope more and more people understand that. Second of all, before the pandemic, we had Trump, as you will recall, telling us what a great economy we had. Well, how great is an economy when half of our people are living paycheck to paycheck? And when the paychecks stop, hunger and desperation set in. So we have got to make sure that we raise the minimum wage in this country to at least 15 bucks an hour, make it easier for workers to join unions. You know, we have got to make sure that all of our kids get the quality education that they need. So what I'm saying, Seth, is that in this terrible moment in American history, when so many of our people are hurting, it is time to rethink some of the basic priorities of our nation, some of the basic institutions in this country, and as the wealthiest country on earth, ask ourselves where we want to be in the future. We'll be right back with more of my conversation with Senator Bernie Sanders. You know, this is really drawn in stark contrast, the difference between people who have and the people who have not. And one thing that I believe is shocking to many, and I wonder if you would have predicted it, is the fact that during this terrible time, billionaires have actually added to their wealth at a time when so many people are living paycheck to paycheck. We're, I mean, is this something that, that of course, Senator Sanders uh, knew would happen? In, in well, I think like not just me, but I think economists in general. Um, we are, and, and one of the issues, Seth, that you know, you're not going to hear too much in Congress or on TV, frankly, uh, is the issue of income and wealth inequality. And as you've just indicated, it has been exasperated by this crisis. So we're seeing billionaires uh, 
seeing their wealth increase by hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars, while the most vulnerable people in this country and working class people in general <clears throat> are living in desperation. I mean, hunger in America is now widespread. Uh, people are worried about being evicted from their apartments. Where do they go? What do they do? Uh, unemployment is higher now than it has been for a very, very long uh, time. So this issue of growing income and wealth inequality and the power of the billionaire class to influence politics, they spend huge amounts of money to elect candidates who represent the wealthy and the powerful. This is a fundamental issue which we cannot run away from. Uh, whether it's uh, fair or unfair, a lot of people are counting on you to convince uh, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party to support Biden. You've been very vocal in your support of him. Is he someone that you have had a good relationship with over the years? I know your politics are obviously uh, different, but uh, how, uh, how do you like him as a person? I have known Joe for, uh, since I got into the Senate in 2006 and worked with him uh, when he was vice president under uh, Obama. Uh, and I have a good relationship with him. And as you've indicated, it is no great secret uh, that we have very different political views. Uh, Joe is more of an establishment politician, and I'm spending my life taking on the establishment. But I am going to do everything that I can uh, to see that Biden is elected president, uh, because in Trump, uh, we have not just somebody who is a pathological liar, but somebody who does not really believe in democracy, who has very strong authoritarian tendencies, uh, who is a racist and a sexist uh, and a homophobe and a xenophobe. And, and, and this is somebody that cannot be, in my view, reelected for the health and, and safety of this country. So I'll do everything I can to support Joe to make sure that Trump is not reelected. Have you been uh, happy thus far with um, the amount uh, Vice, former Vice President Biden has reached out to you and other progressives in the party? Well, what he very kindly did, what Joe did, is agree to a set of task forces, a half a dozen, uh, who are currently wrapping up their work, actually, as we speak, uh, working on some of the most important issues facing the country, uh, country the economy, healthcare, education, climate change, uh, immigration, criminal justice, etc. So, Biden was very good about reaching out. We have brought into these task force some of the strongest progressive voices in America. He has strong supporters of his, uh, and they are working on ways that uh, we can come up with real solutions to the enormous crises facing uh, this country, and I've been pleased uh, by that. Uh, I want to end on um, some positive news because it, it's so hard to come by these days. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled uh, six to three yesterday, basically making it illegal for employers to fire someone based on them being gay or transgender. Uh, were you surprised, uh, happy? Uh, what was your reaction? I was very happy, very happy and, and a little bit surprised. Uh, it's no great, uh, everybody understands that the conservatives dominate the Supreme Court five to four and that we had uh, Gorsuch uh, and Roberts coming around on this issue was very, very pleasing. And I think as we fight for a less discriminatory society where we treat people as who they are as human beings, not the color of their skin, uh, not their sexual orientation, not where they were born, 
this is a major, major, major step forward for the LGBT community and I think for the United States of America. Well, I will say uh, what I said last time uh, we talked via Zoom. I hope the next time's in person. Uh, and if not, we will make it work this way. It's always a pleasure, Senator. Well, keep up the great work, Seth. Thank you. Thank you. Late Night with Seth Meyers airs weeknights on NBC at 12.35, 11.35 Central. Original music on the Late Night podcast is by the HE Band. Don't forget to follow the handle Late Night Seth on social media and tell your friends to subscribe to the Late Night podcast wherever they get their podcasts. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.